Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns and Foster, Temper Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60 month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. It's here, TGIF. Thanks for joining us today. It's going to be a great show. Oh my God. I mean, we we made that promise. Now we got to stick to it. And at least I have some good hair as I record today. You're on Zoom. No one can see you. Well, you can go to my Instagram, Instagram story at your Lazar. Okay. But seriously, this is actually really funny uh, because my boyfriend blew out my hair. He Figured out how to do a blowout. Okay, how? By YouTube video, by tutorial, what So what happened? What, what happened is I've always had issues doing it, which is why I typically get it done professionally, but obviously don't do that now. And also who wants to waste that money? So I told him that. And of course him being industrious and being my lover, he basically said like, why don't I learn how to do it? And that could help you. And so he went on YouTube and looked it up. But then he also was like, he started doing it really well, like bringing the brush, the the with the, the circular brush, like underneath and like pulling it. And I'm like, wow, you're getting the hang of this really quickly. I was actually very impressed. And now, you know, one more thing to add to the list of things that he does. That's better than you, clearly. I was going to say, one more thing that, <laughs> to, one more point for him, one more, like, I'm, I'm starting, I'm going to need to catch up at a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Anyway, it's it's funny, but thank you, Chris, if you're listening for the blowout. Uh, but coming up on the show, uh, a transgender woman who created one of the first safe houses for LGBTQ plus youth in New York is joining us. And we've got the filmmakers behind Trans in Trumpland, uh, which examines the struggles and resilience of the transgender community joining us as well. It's a very powerful series. So uh, that's coming up at 5.30 p.m. Pacific uh, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Two fully vaccinated people can gather individually with minimal risk. Okay, this is coming out from Dr. Fauci. Meanwhile, the CDC has not yet released official guidelines about gathering with other vaccinated people. But here's what Dr. Fauci uh, told Chris Cuomo on CNN. It isn't backed by data. It's backed by common sense that if you have two vaccinated people and they want to get together, be they family members or friends that you know are vaccinated, you can start getting as individual people, even though the risk is not zero, the risk becomes extremely low when you have both parties vaccinated. So we're gonna start seeing people saying, hey, the more people get vaccinated, I can have dinner with my family member that comes in. But what's I the can time go horizon? See my mother what's if the, she's vaccinated. I get it on a personal basis. I get it on a household by household. But when now the U.S. has administered over 68 million vaccine doses, according to data from Johns Hopkins University, and it has recorded over 28 million cases and over 508,000 deaths, the highest country total. So more reason to get the vaccine. The silver lining is here, the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, uh, speaking of vaccines, an FDA advisory panel has voted to recommend the Johnson & Johnson COVID-19 vaccine for emergency use authorization. The FDA is expected to follow the group's recommendation because according to one doctor, there is a shortage of vaccines that are currently authorized and the third vaccine could help meet the needs at the moment. Now, the FDA could possibly issue an emergency use authorization as soon as tonight, actually, or Saturday, and it would be the third COVID-19 vaccine authorized in the U.S. in addition to Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech. And that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. 
So Demi Lovato is saying sorry, not sorry for calling the gender reveal party trend transphobic. It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Demi shared a lengthy Instagram post originally shared by transgender uh, rights activist Alok in an effort to shed light on a belief system that presumes non-trans people to be more, quote, natural than trans people. The explainer, which I thought was really Really fabulous. Uh, I think everyone should go check it out. It's still on her page. And if you're not following Alok, um, they are just incredible. Um, the explainer states that it is both insincere and incorrect to pretend that gender reveal parties are not transphobic. Now, of course, Demi posting this got either some support from fans, but many of the followers in her comments disagreed with uh, the declaration. I, I, to be quite honest, I'm just really happy that to see that she is becoming more and more comfortable sharing and standing up for queer and trans folks. I do think it's interesting, though. Are gender reveals transphobic? No, I, I, I don't know if the right word is transphobic, but it's... Um... It's basically what's the word? I don't know if it's discriminatory, but it's. I mean, it is. I think. I think to be quite honest, I'm not. I kind of. It's gender phobic or not? I think. Well, I think that's. I think that's a gen. I think. I think posing that question, it is transphobic, and maybe we can do a segment on it because we got to wrap up. Because you're assuming that your child is based on their anatomy, a girl or boy, without them choosing that for themselves. Well, I mean, let us know what your thoughts are, but let us know what your thoughts are at LGT Show Everywhere, and that is your team report. Coming up on the show, uh, Biden's controversial decision to reopen temporary shelters for migrant children, and what he needs to break from the Trump era trauma that a lot of people are connected to that is next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The Biden administration is reopening temporary facilities to hold an increasing number of migrant children arriving on the U.S. southern border, and it brings back concerns about their welfare after immigration agents had separated families and kept children in prison-like conditions under former President Donald Trump. And joining us right now is Maria Sachetti, who's a Washington Post national immigration reporter covering all of this. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So there's a lot going on this week around immigrants and immigration. Why was this latest announcement, um, why did it get so much uh, negative reaction? Well, I think I think people are very concerned about um, the way the Biden administration is planning to take children to custody uh, from the southern border. So there, th- this is an extremely sensitive issue because of all the things that happened under President Trump. I mean, um, migrant children were separated from their parents during his administration that caused a lot of trauma. And there's also concern about this particular group of children um, who are teenagers, some of them older and um, some of them younger. And they're they're different from the families because these are kids arriving by themselves. Mm -hmm. And so they're without a parent. And so there are laws governing how they're supposed to be taken care of. And so they're not supposed to be held in restrictive facilities. They're supposed to be like border patrol stations. They're supposed to be very quickly moved to shelter conditions. Um, And what people are worried about is the Biden administration. So many more kids are traveling by themselves and showing up on the border that um, they're opening this large, shelter in Carrizo Springs, Texas, to house them until the government can place them with a parent or guardian. So it's a challenge for the Biden administration, because you can't just hand off a child to to somebody they haven't checked, you know, they they have to, these are, some of these kids have been separated from their parents since they were babies, you know, they they were raised by somebody else in their home countries, or many of them are certainly in touch with their parents, but they haven't lived with them for a long time. So people have to check and make sure that um the parents are you know they they the children have a, a safe place to go live um, right so yeah and i i think the white you know the white house press secretary she was on the view earlier this week and she you know talked about the 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 big differences in between these but i do wonder is this going to create some infighting within the democratic party because there are people like you know aoc basically calling out the end of facilities like this, saying, what is the point of this? So what do you think we'll see here? I mean, I think I think what AOC and others are doing are, are trying to intensify pressure on the Biden administration to find another way. And so either process the families faster um, or, you know, like get, get the children rather um, get the children processed more quickly so that they can be released to their parents faster uh, in, or um, find 
more family, you know, child friendly places to put them in. Um, and so the, the problem for the, the Biden administration is they're trying to do a, a lot of different things at once, uh, yeah. including COVID relief and things like that. They can't do it single handedly. They have this huge apparatus on the border. They have to turn the ship around, so to yeah. speak. And they yeah. can't do that quickly. Maria Sachetti is with us, Washington Post national immigration reporter. I mean, it does seem like the whole system is broken. And there's even issues with children who don't have parents or any sort of guardians here in the states who are Americans. And like that system is broken, too. So I can't imagine there's a system that works that is for uh, migrant children as well, unfortunately. I mean, what what advocates for for the children would say is the government can find a different way. They should listen to the advice people are giving them and they could they could do something uh, differently. But you're having lots of children show up unexpectedly and you have to have a place to put them. And yeah. so that is why they opened that that facility. Um, and they they just have to find a way to safely release them. Last night, I mean, and, and the Border Patrol, some Border Patrol officials were posting pictures of large groups still arriving. And it was like 130 people. And that included some minors. Hmm. Are the conditions at least different from what we've seen from kids sleeping on the like concrete floors? Are we seeing a, a difference in conditions? Right. So I think those are the kinds of things you would see at the Border Patrol stations. And, and that's what Carrizo Springs is supposed to take them out of. Mm. So you don't want, those kids are not supposed to be held in those kinds of circumstances for more than 72 hours. And they have been because the shelters have been so backed up and because of COVID you have to, you can't cram kids into a a single room and things like that. So Carrizo Springs is something, and you can see this from the photos, they have bunk beds, they have um, more room. It's, you know, not an attractive facility, people are saying, but it's, um, but it's, it's a place where they, the, the children can have beds, they can have meals, and, um, and it's a place where they can, you know, they can stay. Overall, does it feel like from your reporting, like the Biden administration is dealing with this, like we'll see a change? Well, I think that they uh, are, are being forced to deal with it because the numbers are rising and they are dealing with um, this major question uh, that will confront them in the in the next month, which is whether to end the, um, the Title 42 expulsions of migrant families. So right now, under Trump, because of the coronavirus, they instituted this authority to quickly expel families and for a while unaccompanied minors. Now, a court ordered them to stop expelling unaccompanied minors. They that judge was overturned, but Biden on his own decided to just stop, you know, expelling minors who are traveling by themselves. But since then, we've seen the numbers of minors rise. That was Marie Sachetti, Washington Post national immigration reporter. Uh, thanks for being here and have a good weekend. Thanks so much. Coming up on the show, how one transgender woman is fighting housing insecurity for the LGBTQ plus community. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Five transgender people have experienced homelessness during their lives, and that's according to the National Center for Transgender Equality. More than one in 10 have been evicted from their homes because of their gender identity. And a 2018 human rights campaign reported that 41% of black transgender folks who reported experienced homelessness at some point in their lives, it was a rate five times higher than that of the general U.S. population. So these numbers are staggering. And one of the individuals doing something about this and is on a mission to fight housing insecurity by providing safe homes for LGBTQ youth is Cayenne Dorishow, the founder and now executive director of Gays and Lesbians Living in a Transgender Society, otherwise known as GLITS. Welcome to the show, Cayenne. Thanks for being here. Hi, how are you? You know, it's a beautiful day and we appreciate what you're doing and for joining us. Why did you want to start this nonprofit versus supporting others doing this work? Um, Because nobody's doing this work. It it would be easy to say in a perfect world that in a city that has so much privilege that they would have created what I've created, that they would have done the work I've been doing. I simply wanted to help people. And, and figured out a way to do that, that makes sense. Yeah. Not to make people feel bad because they're in a certain place or they don't have a certain economic stance, that they're able to do the work of getting themselves together and on their feet. And I've been doing this for years. 
think a stat that always comes to my mind is one that is dated back in 2018. About only four cents of every $100 raised for LGBTQ plus causes find their ways to trans-related issues and even less reaches trans people of color. How do we change that? What do we need to be doing to make sure that these funds that are being raised and the ones that we're always constantly hearing about are actually going to, you know, communities that genuinely really need them? So funding, and this is this is the actual truth, funding for the LGBTQIA community falls under MSN which is same male sex. As a black transgender woman, this is one of the reasons why I started my own agency. I, how dare you? I don't need your money if that's what you're going to categorize me as. Mm. I don't need your money to help my community if that's what you're going. And they say that they have to put it that way. So if you put transgender funds in a place that's for LGBTQIA, who stands to fail? The T. Because they're literally lending you a space. And they make you feel that way. I've lent you this space and that little bit of money so y'all could meet over there in the corner. I created gl glitz so there are no corners. The barriers are just open. You have nothing blocking you. Again, you're hearing from the Kai Dora Show, the founder and now executive director of Glitz. Well, let's, let's talk about your space, which is the first black transgender owned housing community in New York City, which is just so huge. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's beautiful. It's a 12 apartment building. It's a very old, well-kept building. I, I immediately, when I bought it, immediately went and bought chandeliers to put in the hallways. Because I want the people glamour. to see the options. Yes, I yes. want people to see the options we are supposed to have. I put sparkles, not like tacky sparkles, but like iridescent sparkles on the walls in the hallway for two reasons. One, I want the heterosexual people out. Two, I want my community in. Yeah. And I want them to see this sparkling glitz as a pathway to education, to sustainability. And if you create something with community, they're more likely to succeed if mm -hmm. they're a part of it. Why do you think the stories of trauma that we hear about Black trans women are the only reason why we get, you know, the attention from GLADS or the white organizations or these people? Why don't we ever hear happy stories attached to Black trans women when it comes to even giving them um, the resources that need, right? I feel like oftentimes we only hear the bad instead of celebrating Black trans women for the happiness and the lives and the joy that they live. Because they would rather hear about sex work. They would rather hear about the murders and the deaths. What they don't want to hear is stories of progression and power within the trans community. Society never, ever wanted to give us a chance. Gay white men didn't even give us a chance to be trans women before they came up with all these other pronouns that we still are fighting to be trans women. So we're living in a world where... Yet again, we're put in the back of a movement because now there's so much movement, we're erased again. So how can we do to support you and what is needed next? Another building. <laughs> Another building. Um, scholarships. I would like every person that I move into that building to be able to get an education paid for. Nothing you got to stress, paid for, because an education is the pathway to sustainability. That is forever. That is food. That is food for thought. That is your family, your bread and your butter, your education. We need scholarships. We need not programming. We need an education that actually gets a degree, that actually gets you the job. Well, Cayenne Dora Show, you are just a pleasure. And thank you for all the work you're doing and for your incredible vision. Thank you. Thank you. Again, uh, Cayenne is the founder and now executive director of Gays and Lesbians Living in a Transgender Society, otherwise known as Glitz. Coming up on the show, the filmmakers behind Trans in Trumpland join us, and it examines the struggles and resilience of the transgender community. Stick around for that next.
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Let's talk about this mom who is saying that her three young boys were expelled from their Catholic school because of her account on OnlyFans. These stories coming out of OnlyFans are um, interesting. It's sad how shamed women specifically, it seems like I, I only hear this about women, are who have otherwise, quote unquote, normal lives, and then they get outed for their OnlyFans accounts and their lives seem to fall apart or it just, you know, it, it impacts their kids, it impacts their current job, et cetera. Uh, so I want to know what you think about this, Ryan, the fact that, so she started this in September in 2019. She'd been with her husband for 14 years. She was going through menopause. They were trying to like get the intimacy going again. So they started this OnlyFans account. They ended up making $150,000 a month. Good money. Good money. And then, of course, at a certain point, because it's not like she hides her face, someone discovered it in her town. She lives in in California. I mean, but they found it and then they ended up uh, sending the photos around in a way to completely basically harass her around it and out her to the point where it got to the school. And then the moms there were shaming her and pushed her kids out of the school. Yeah, this is completely disgusting. This is what we talk about when it comes to the stigma and shame of sex work. And then also that person must have some inter shame when it comes to them even watching porn or taking part in it. And so this idea of like finding her or uh, uh, arriving upon her channel or her OnlyFans and then harassing her and spreading, you know, her nudes and all these things like that should honestly be illegal in the sense of how they're doing it and, and, and how they're using it. And it's disgusting that now these kids are impacted when guess what? This mom is making a living for their kids and it doesn't matter. You didn't care about how she was making a living before you knew she was doing sex work. Why does it matter all of a sudden? And so well, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's super annoying that, Um, This is like happening to her, which sucks. And her family and the kids. Totally. There should be a campaign that's called Normalize OnlyFans. Because at this, do we feel like it's pretty normal? Like if someone has an OnlyFans account and they're killing it, isn't that like awesome? But we have to remember though, Shira, we live in this insulated kind of elite world that is very progressive and that we think that everyone outside of these, you know, this this mic gets it. But guess mm-hmm. what? They don't get it. And this is a clear example that they don't understand. And people are still finding and, and getting multiple repercussions for just living their lives, which sucks. Is it bad that stories like this still make me curious about OnlyFans and starting an account? Like, literally, it's been a consistent conversation. Why would it be bad? Household. No, I just, well, I think about it, too. Like if I started something, I don't even know what it would be. And my dad, like family finding out and then the stigma around that. Girl, you're grown. You are like I damn know, near it's 40. Just like, it's crazy. If you want to do what or you like do, like future do jobs, like them using it against me. But there's also something very liberating. Like there was a, a woman that saw um, other women uh, cooking topless or like naked cooking. And she started doing it for fun, even though like her friends that she was going to do it with. They were like, oh, I thought this was a joke. She started doing it. She's making a lot of money. Yeah. And it's also just really beautiful and fun. Thing is, you already post pretty like hippy dippy, fun, productive, like provocative nude photos. Not really nude, but like somewhat nude on Instagram. Who cares? I think at this point, you have to claim your life, claim what oh, you yes. want to do, and don't explain yourself to anybody. But I honestly, those kids probably shouldn't have been going to a Catholic school. No way. If that's how they were going, they're going to like judge and impact. But that's a whole yeah. other conversation. Maybe it's only a matter of time. They should go to a better school. Coming up on the show, we got what's trending this hour. Virginia could become the 12th state to ban the gay trans panic defense. More details on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, the filmmakers behind Trans in Trumpland are joining us to discuss their series that explores the struggles and resilience of the transgender community. That's in 30 minutes, plus the new trend of Instagrannies. Yeah. Do you follow any Instagrannies, Ryan? Yeah, but if I, we talk about it now, I mean, I guess. Oh, you're gonna reveal it. it yeah, because okay. I mean, I, I really do actually. The, it's so weird what like these little sub kind of cultures and groups that you can kind of find on these apps, especially on TikTok. You will like if you're just on there going through kind of like a death scroll, you will literally find everything. 
Oh, yeah, that's true. And these older folks are making some money. Yeah, <laughs> Hopefully that will inspire you. Uh, but coming up uh, right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. During her testimony before Congress, acting U.S. Capitol Police Chief Gananda Pittman disclosed that the Capitol Police are aware of threats from militia groups present at the January 6th insurrection, that they're going to stage another attack. And according to Pittman, militia groups have said that they want to blow up the Capitol in an action around the 2021 State of the Union address, which has yet to be scheduled. So... As you can imagine, very scary statements. And the hope is that um, this is being looked at, right, by the FBI, by the intelligence. I mean, we're getting this information as a member of the public. I'm like, what are we supposed to do with this? True. Right? <laughs> like, okay, hope you figure that out so it doesn't happen. It shows how dangerous also that is, those, those individuals and the rhetoric is if you don't do anything about it. Uh, now, for the Virginia Senate Judiciary Committee has moved ahead on approving a bill to ban LGBTQ plus panic defense. Bill 2132 was introduced challenging existing gay and trans panic defense laws that allow perpetrators to argue an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity um, is the cause of violent behavior. Now, the next stage for the bill would ha have to be presented in front of the Senate Finance and Appropriations Committee, and then it would go to the Democrat-controlled Senate floor. So there is a, a process here, but in a recent uh, tweet, Delegate Danica Rome mentioned the tragic murder of Gwen uh, Rojo as a reminder of what this bill is hoping to achieve and how important it is. So Gwen was an American Latina teenager who was brutally murdered by four men after they learned she was transgender. In her post, Rome explains uh, her passion to get this bill passed, saying, I'm working to pass HB 2132 to ban the gay trans panic defense in Virginia. I'm reminded of the fear from the horrors that keep people closeted. That was me. And by the way, in 2018, Danica Rome made history as the first trans woman voted into the Virginia House of Delegates. So it'll be really big if that happens in Virginia. And uh, that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. Lady Gaga's finally speaking out uh, to, on the dog napping shooting that happened. It's time yeah. for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Lady Gaga said her heart is sick in an emotional social media post that she posted literally today over the kidnapping of her beloved French bulldogs and shooting of their walker. Uh, here's what she said, quote, my beloved dogs Koji and Gustav were taken in Hollywood two nights ago. My heart is sick and I am praying my family will be whole again with an act of kindness. I will pay $500,000 for their safe return. Email Koji and Gustav at gmail.com to contact us. Or if you uh, bought or found them unknowingly, the reward is the same. I can continue to love you. I continue to love you, Ryan Fisher. You uh, risked your life to fight for our family. You're forever a hero. To be quite honest, yeah. I'm honestly shocked. Like, I think about this, and, you know, we've talked about it on the show. There's just no way I would have risked my life for those dogs. Like, to, to the idea of getting shot for a dog is just wild to me. It's really, it's just not something that I'm like, it's, I just can't see myself ever doing. Well, I just think he probably just did what he had to do. I don't know if he, like, he, he obviously was just trying to get away and then they shot him and took well, the dogs. Well, he was trying to take the dog. He was trying to, like, fight for the dogs, like, because they were trying to grab the dogs. And then that's when he ended up getting shot, which, in my opinion, I would have just been like, yeah, you I mean, just I guess have these damn no, dogs. No, I mean, I guess, and I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna get out. I'm not. I'm I not about to fight It's a human life, but at the same time, maybe, he, yeah, he thought he could get away, but Good didn't. Yeah, I don't know. Let us know what you think at LGT Show, of course. And um, I got more tea report coming up next hour. Like, very scary. Now, coming up, the Biden administration has suggested it will add ex-gender markers to federal documents. What that means moving forward, we've got those details next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. LGBTQ advocates have been in talks with the Biden administration about an executive action to add ex-gender markers to all federal documents, including passports and social security cards, according to the ACLU. Uh, this is big news, an early Yaz queen, you can say, but what does it all mean? Well, Kate Sawson is with us, LGBTQ plus reporter at 19th News. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to join you. Yeah, so currently 20 states in Washington, D.C. have such policies. How important is this to implement at a federal level? So a lot of LGBTQ 
experts um, and, you know, non-binary, intersex and trans people think this is really critical because a lot of folks have IDs that just simply don't match. They have IDs that say have a gender marker X and then they have passports that don't match or they're, they haven't been able to obtain IDs at all. And that can mean that they have trouble getting harassed in public places or they don't have access to voting um, and run into all kinds of problems. So people feel like this is really, really pressing. Because I was wondering how many states um, are already allowing, you know, folks to do the X gender marker? It's 20 right now and it's growing. Actually, some states have even passed uh, bills that will allow this in the future. Illinois has passed a bill and even though they're not issuing gender marker X's already, they will be in the years to come. And so it really feels like it's only a matter of time. Um, TSA, for example, will accept X gender markers and let you fly with them. So, you know, this is something federally that seems to already be happening. It's just a matter of getting, you know, the federal government to start issuing those documents. Yeah, and what's the timeline for this? What are you hearing? Well, that's a great question. Um, I asked the Biden administration on this because this was a campaign promise, right? Um, That Joe Biden said, you know, that he would do this um, and they have declined to answer. I think that they don't want to, um, you know, create an expectation around this, but it does seem like they've been in talks around this and about how to do it best. Um, And, you know, I have been hearing chatter that they're that there are agencies that are trying to figure out how to do this best. And as we've seen, like, if you go onto the White House pages, um, some of the options have already changed, not in terms of federal docs, but drop down menus, right? So it used to just say, you know, what is your gender? And it would say male, female. Now there's a third gender option already in the White House. So some of this work is already being done at the federal level. Amazing. Kate Sawson, again, is with us, LGBTQ plus reporter at 19th News, as we talk about this latest news that the Biden administration is suggesting it will add X gender markers to federal documents. So let's say this X gender marker actually becomes passed. Um, What happens if they still don't allow people or they still don't send out the new documents that have the X? Because I know there's someone going through that right now where they've been waiting forever. This is really critical. So Actually, um, the federal government has been ordered by a court uh, repeatedly to issue passports that have gender marker X's because Dana Zim, who's an intersex person, sued to get an accurate passport with a gender marker X and um, won that lawsuit. And the Trump administration repeatedly declined to issue a gender marker X on a passport. And so... It, it seems that the Biden administration um, under court order and also of its own accord would issue those passports. Um, so they're kind of required to. Um, the Trump administration had been continuing to fight that. It seems like, of course, the Biden administration won't. Um, the other piece of this that's really important is advocates are asking for forms where you don't necessarily need to collect gender for identification purposes to just remove it, right? Because we're at a point now where a lot of people feel like gender is just uncomfortable anyway. Mm. Um, So they're saying, look, like categories of race, like why do we need this on a document to begin with? But for things like passports, which the US does not control, it's international law, right? Countries um, require a gender marker. They don't have the option of removing it. So they are advocating for an X gender marker. So some documents will see the removal of gender mm. altogether, maybe, um, or we'll see a push for that. And then in other areas, they're going to ask for a gender marker X because they want data collection so that LGBTQ people can get services. Yeah. And also, just as we wrap things up, voting, it's so important. I mean, according to your article last February, the UCLA School of Law estimated that 42% of eligible trans voters, that's Over 370,000 people might be barred from voting in the general election due to voter ID laws in 35 states. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, 46% of trans voters, uh, you know, I mean, and that data is a little bit old, right? It's from um, 2015, but, but yeah, it did not have access to an accurate ID that reflected their name or their gender marker. Um, There've been incredible hurdles for people to get access to these things. And the, the pandemic has really made that a lot 
more difficult because courts have been shut down, DMVs have been shut down, people, even when they're open, don't want to go to them because it's not safe. Um, and so a lot of people haven't been able to update their documentation. That was Kate Sawson, LGBTQ plus reporter at the 19th News. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Now coming up, the filmmakers behind Trans in Trumpland are joining us. The series examines the struggles and resilience of the transgender community. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Trans in Trumpland is a series that explores the struggles and resilience of the transgender community. And here's a clip from the very powerful trailer. For, for almost my whole life, I haven't felt at home in my body. Public schools no longer required to allow transgender students to use the bathroom of their choice. I think the bathroom has always been a tool for uh, controlling people. The president has announced on Twitter that there will be no more transgender service members in the armed forces. This particular administration has made it okay to hate again. It has affected the way people are treated. Let me tell you, Ryan, I was crying after watching this. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. It's shot gorgeously, and I think it really does justice to telling the stories that need to be in the forefront. Well, guess what? Because we're Let's Go There, we've got the filmmakers behind it. Joining us now, director and host Tony Zosher Affetin and producer Jamie DeNicola here today. Thank you so much. You were so close here. You got it. You nailed it. Thank you so much for being here, uh, you both. Tell us about the making of this very powerful series. And I guess we'll start with uh, you, Tony. Yeah, sure. Well, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Um, The series, it is, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it does involve a lot of Kleenex. So you will be crying (laughs) when you watch it. And uh, it goes back all the way to the first week that Trump took uh, power in 2016. I felt really compelled to create the series when he stripped any mention of LGBTQ rights from the White House website. That was like the first 24 hours that he took office. And I thought to myself, well, what can I do as a filmmaker to kind of fight back? Trans and Trump land just popped into my head. I spoke to Jamie. We had been making films together. We're friends. I said, Jamie, Trans and Trump land, you know, what if I kind of uh, leave New York City, go to Red States, kind of investigate what's going to happen to us during these next four years? Because I had a bad feeling about it. And Jamie goes, yeah, I mean, I want to be part of that. And I think mm-hmm. we should kind of resist. Yeah. Wow. And Jamie has Transwave Films, so uh, we want to talk more about that because it's a trans-owned production company, of course. Uh, but tell us about the decision to jump on board this project. Yeah, so Tony and I had been working together since like 2012 on and off. I like edited his first ever short film, and I was super, super excited to work with him again on this just because the, the series idea I thought was brilliant because... In the US, it's a very unique thing where in one state, a trans person can have way more rights than they do in another state, which I think in like any other nation on earth, that would make zero sense. But in the US, that's kind of the reality for queer and trans people. So as soon as I heard of the idea, I was like, this is brilliant. This will highlight such an important like hypocrisy that that lives in the US. So what goes into finding the stories that you want to tell? Definitely. Um, I had a really bad gut feeling going back to 2016 when Trump took office. I was like, this is his anti-trans hate is going to take get the most track traction in states I've voted for him. So I knew that I wanted to go to maybe four or five states um, and kind of only go to conservative Republican states because me as a New Yorker, trans New Yorker, I have legal rights. Um, So the past four years under Trump weren't as bad for me. So I thought about like, I wanted to do this square across the US and kind of capture what it's like to be in these Trump lands or heartlands of America that voted for him both in 2016 and 2020. And as soon as I had the states nailed down, which are North Carolina, Texas, Mississippi, and Idaho, I knew I wanted to find trans people that are underrepresented that didn't have their stories told so far. So that includes like a really young uh, trans guy that appears in uh, episode one, North Carolina. Uh, There's a black trans woman in Jackson, Mississippi. There is a trans woman who's detained by ICE um, in a detention facility, all male in Texas. So as soon as I realized I had my states, I found people that were kind of like very unique in their, like the stories and what they went through during the Trump era. And from there we had our characters set and, uh, you know, Jamie liked them as well. And we kind of rolled with that. We're talking to the filmmakers behind Trans in Trump Land, uh, director and host Tony Zosher and producer Jamie DeNicola. 
Uh, and so, I mean, it must have been hard after shooting these uh, ser- the series and you're leaving these individuals in places that aren't safe. What was that like? I think that we left with a sense of hope, which I wasn't like expecting going into it, is that all of these four individuals, they live in areas that, you know, have huge systemic discrimination, but they're kind of able to like carve out these beautiful, joyous communities for themselves. Like Havana in Mississippi goes to like, you know, a hair salon every week and has like a community there of like supportive cis women. Um, She has a church that's queer. So I think it was actually a sense of hope that I was leaving every state with, which was refreshing because I did not feel a lot of that for the past four years under Trump. I guess, what is the takeaway? What do you hope people do after they see this series? I think the biggest takeaway after seeing it is like, if someone who doesn't know a trans person, which is like shockingly common in the US, um, there was like a recent study that was like 80% of people in the US have not met a trans person. I'm like, where are you living under a rock? We're everywhere. Um, But I hope that those people watch this series. And they're like, well, yeah, now I see that trans people live down the street. They're my neighbors, they go to my church, they go to my school. And I think the biggest kind of takeaway is to humanize trans people on a very, very like fundamental level. And I think what I hope happens after this series is that it sparks conversation, especially about state level, that all 50 states should have trans uh, protective legislation in place. And I think that that could be the biggest takeaway is like a fundamental change in how trans Americans are treated. That was director and host Tony Zosher-Raffitan and producer Jamie DeNicola from Trans in Trumpland. It's available on Topic.com, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire right now. Thank you so much. Coming up, we're talking about the trend of grandfluencers, senior citizens making it rain on Instagram. Ryan, it gives us hope. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The New York Post had an article about Insta grannies and this whole trend of uh, grandfluencers. Okay, so these are senior citizens who are making a ton of money as Instagram stars. Which Ryan, it makes me have hope for the future because at least if we're not, you know, maybe get a million now in our ripe time of our life, maybe it'll happen when we're old. Instagrannies are not a new thing though. Batty Winkle has been around forever. And I have always loved this, right? I've always loved kind of like older people. There's like a, 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 its own little section of Instagram of older folks who are basically like hype beasts and they wear the latest clothes, they wear the latest shoes, sneakers, all these things. And they're like fashion kids. And I just, I've always loved that because guess what? Just because you age doesn't mean that you gotta feel old. And so I think that this Instagrammy thing is super incredible. I love it. I mean, honestly, I, I mean, why not keep catering to the youth inside of you? I agree. That's the empowering side of it. The other side of it is like, how did this start? Did it happen from their kid taking advantage of them? Like, oh yeah, I'm going to use you and throw, it's like taking advantage of like having kids and throwing them in the spotlight. What? I don't, I mean, I don't think. Like imagine I had, so no, but imagine, so you have this, this funny grandparent and you're like, oh my God, I'll put you in cool outfits and do videos for you. Let me handle this. And they're like, yeah, it'll be fun because it's like something to do. How was I taking advantage of them? Are you taking, yeah, are you exploiting your grandparents? I, I don't think, I old people. I mean, I don't look at it like that, but I feel like you're also triggered from I Care A Lot on Netflix, which isn't, I mean, that movie is wild. Yes, you haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> but I think these people who have gotten like famous or they're older and they're dressing up, I think they are consensual um, because a lot of times you see them taking their own photos or doing little selfies. And so I think it's it's just about kind of like Dion, um, Dion Warwick, where she, you know, didn't know anything about social, but she had her niece introduce her. And I think that is how we kind of bridge the gap where we, we start to see older people and younger people kind of come along. And it's just fun. It's not, you know, exploitive. Now, if they didn't have... Um, if they're not making their own decisions and it feels like that and things like that comes out, then that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate this. This give, makes me feel like you're a creator at every age. You can make it work. Mm-hmm. And if anything, probably be more successful because you stand out more. The other thing is that kind of annoys me about this is like, where's our respect for old people in regular life? Why do we only put them on a pedestal when they're like hot fashionistas who have a following on Instagram? This feels like a weird hill to die on. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, But I I love and I think we most definitely should respect 
um, our elders. That's what I'm talking about. People. Like, yeah, but this is the only time in the U.S. that people have respect for the old people. Mr. Steal Your Grand, Ryan, Mr. Steal Your Grandma, Irvin Randall. He looks like he'd be like you and you're older, but you'd I mean, be Mr. You come, Steal Your Grandpa. If we're really kind of talking about this, yes, there are things that need to be done for, you know, when it comes to our Social Security and the, and the politics policy side. Um, but as in, in, when it turns and when it comes into like, in, you know, entertainment or anything, I do think there are going to be both sides of people who are going to take advantage and then also people who just want to have a little fun. And I'm existing in the side that wants to have a little fun. I'm lie. just saying, celebrate your Instagranny, but also take care of your real granny. I really think they are. I genuinely feel they But you never know. Now coming up next, you can't believe what happened after these men were arrested for kissing on the beach. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, more on the latest survey that shows more Americans than ever before have come forward to identify as LGBTQ+. But what could still be missing from this? We've got the Washington Post joining us for that because this was a huge headline this week. I mean, of course, Equality Act was first. This was the second biggest one. If you talk to anyone who is queer or in the space, this was top of mind this week, the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're bringing you more, uh, so in case you missed it later on. Uh, but first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, is an annual political conference attended by conservative activists and elected officials from across the United States and beyond. It's run Thursday until Sunday this weekend in Florida. And of course, all the stars of the party have been speaking. And here's Senator Ted Cruz. By the way, he made a joke about it's great to be uh, in Florida better than Cancun or he, he said Cancun's better actually which is like okay haha making fun of the fact that people called you out for not taking care of your state who were dying uh, but he here he is talking about why Washington hates Trump and they look at Donald J. Trump and they look at the millions and millions of people inspired who went to battle fighting alongside President Trump and they're terrified and they want him to go away let me tell you this right now Donald J. Trump ain't going anywhere and there you go. You heard it. It's like, you know, because he's not going anywhere. That's the whole story here. And then everyone was applauding because Trump is not going anywhere yet. So um, it seems between Cruz and Marjorie Taylor Greene, they're trying to corner that right now. Uh, now, after two men were arrested for kissing on a public beach in Mexico, a crowd of furious sunbathers surrounded the heavily armed cops and demanded their release. As parents and locals started chanting, I'm gay and I'm gay too, uh, in solidarity with the men, the officers then let the men go. And this was crazy. It was all captured on camera and video of the incident has skyrocketed around the world and Mexican LGBTQ groups are demanding authorities take action. The video alleges the police were violent and said the men were being arrested for kissing in front of parents and children and they cannot be seeing this. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah. No one on the beach saw the alleged uh, sexual contact, but police say a citizen complaint Spurred the arrest, two officers reportedly saw the men kiss and returned with two ATVs and several armed officers. So thankfully, they are all good and safe. Um, thankfully, there are people around because that could have been a really bad scenario. And finally, a pioneering lesbian and feminist activist who in 1970 led a group of women to the Statue of Liberty where they hung a banner that read, Women of the World Unite, Ivy Bottini, died at her home yesterday at age 94. She died peacefully surrounded by family in Florida where she'd moved to be close to her daughter. So uh, sending our love to Ivy Bottini, who was um, and still is a pioneer and that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Remember that story we talked about yesterday about Britney Spears and the guy Columbus Short and her parents had said the N-word? Yeah. Well, it seems like everyone is speaking out now because Britney's mom has something to say. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Lynn Spears says she has never referred to Columbus Short uh, as the N-word back in 2003. In a statement to Page Six, the former school teacher responded to Short's allegations that the racial slur was used. She said this, I want to be very clear. Those terrible words are not remotely in my vocabulary. I would never say that to anyone, much less my daughter, ever. Now, that leaves, okay, if it wasn't her mom, was it Jamie? 
He hasn't actually publicly addressed the claims yet, but a source close to Jamie told Page Six that Jamie was not there and not involved. In fact, during this time period, Jamie was not involved in Britney's businesses at all, Um, Mm. which doesn't really, I don't even think connects because she could just be talking to her parents doesn't necessarily mean it was a business call and he still could have reacted in the same way or she still could have reacted in the same way. But um, I guess a quick little update if you're wondering what's going on with the conservatorship. Um, Britney's conservatorship was recently extended to September uh, 3rd, 2021. The next hearing, however, is scheduled for March 17th. Um, so we'll see it update you if there's any changes. I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to find out who said the N-word at this point. <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> no, unless Brittany speaks out. I don't know. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like she's doing that. But that's your tea report, y'all. Uh, well, coming up on the show, the latest Gallup survey that shows the next generation is more open than the rest of us when it comes to identifying as LGBTQ+, why this data is important and how it will be used next with The Washington Post. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. One in six adults in Generation Z identify as LGBT, and that's according to a survey that was released today from Gallup, providing the latest estimates we have on the size and makeup of the nation's LGBT population. And that number is actually up from from 4.5% in Gallup's findings based on 2017 data. And joining us is Samantha Schmidt, a reporter focused on gender and family issues for The Washington Post. She covered this story. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So what is the reason for this uptick? It's really coming from young people. And it's it's very clear that uh, millennials, but especially Generation Z, are increasingly willing to identify as LGBT in surveys. And, you know, it's just extremely clear that uh, young people are, are really um, moving beyond uh, binary uh, gender and sexuality labels. And they are really... Uh, pushing the number for all uh, LGBT adults up, and especially uh, among bisexual uh, young people. That is really kind of uh, a key driver of the growth. Yeah, how have we seen surveys like this change over the years? Has it always allowed people to be more detailed about their identities? That's really new, actually. Gallup has been uh, asking people about LGBT identity for many years now. and like their last big data set was from 2017. That's what resulted in the 4.5% number. But at that point, they were just asking people, uh, are you LGBT, yes or no? You, you had to kind of um, identify very broadly in that way uh, because they, they, they asked this question as part of a much bigger survey that's not about gender and sexuality. So they don't have much space to ask questions. But this, this time they asked uh, people to provide more details about what their precise sexual orientation or gender identity is. And they didn't give a lot of options, but we at least now can know whether somebody identified as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender, or a a category that was like other. Um, So there's still not a ton of flexibility there for people who uh, uh, don't identify as one of those labels, but we have a much clearer sense than we did before. And uh, again, we're talking to Samantha Schmidt, who's a reporter focused on uh, gender and family issues for The Washington Post about this new Gallup poll about the LGBT community. Uh, while there is an uptick in those that identify with the community, it seems like there could always also be gaps. Uh, as you mentioned in the article, a silent majority. So what does that say about how we should look at this as well? Uh, the key question here is, like, what is behind this this growth? Is it actually that more people are com- are identifying as as uh, queer or um, is it because we're just seeing more of a willingness to come out among younger people? And what does that say about who we're not counting in older generations? Uh, and, and I think another, a key question here is also, um, what about all of these younger Gen Z uh, people who aren't included in the study? Because the study only looked at adults over the age of 18. And so that's only about like half of Gen Z of its ages 18 to 23. And, and uh, you have all of these teenagers right now who are increasingly uh, opening up and and really kind of pushing these these binary notions. And I think that um, in the coming years, as they enter adulthood, we'll start to see that number increase even more because they'll start to be factored in. But that silent majority you mentioned uh, is really, uh, that was a, a term used by this professor, Philip Hammock. He referred to bisexual community as like that silent majority because this is really 
one of the first uh, really big studies showing us that the vast majority of, of people, uh, the biggest subset of LGBT Americans are bisexual people. And a lot of people um, across the LGBT community identifies bisexual. If we keep seeing generations become more queer as, you know, it just continues to happen in the future, will there really be a need for surveys like this based on sexual identity? That's a good question. I think um, right now there's just, uh, for many years, there was such a gap in data. And so it's been really hard to know just how big the LGBT community is. There haven't been a lot of, you know, there's not one big like federal database that captures this. And so I think advocates and, inclu- and including some uh, within the federal government now are saying we need to study the population more and understand um, what their needs are. And I think that that is still kind of the main priority for advocates right now. Uh, but maybe someday, like, what the, the question is, what will the boxes be? What boxes will we be checking, right? Samantha, what? How do you think this data will be used? I think that um, it's it's interesting. I asked this uh, of the folks at the Williams Institute at UCLA, who've been for a long time trying to uh, kind of capture the size of the population, and they think that um, this is really clear. That, um, it helps us understand that the vast majority of people who identify as LGBT are bisexual. So, what does that mean for their needs and how we talk about sex? And when we're raising young people, knowing that so many young people. Uh, uh, actually, I think the number is like 12% of uh, Gen Z adults identify as bisexual. Um, what does that mean for when we talk about like sex and health class? We need to really be taking into account the fact that people are attracted to multiple genders. And um, and that's just something we have to kind of reshape the way we think about this. And, and also it helps us understand uh, when you look kind of even more closely at the gender dynamics, why is it that more women and more girls are are willing to identify as LGBT and specifically as bisexual. Like, are we missing some boys who are just not identifying that way? Or is there, you know, what is happening here? I think there's just like a lot of, it raises a lot of these other questions. Yeah, that was Samantha Schmidt, uh, who is a reporter focused on gender and family issues for the Washington Post. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Wrapping up the show with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So I think we can all agree that it's uh, it can be hard in high school and you can get bullied for everything from what you wear to your haircut, right? We remember those days you come in with a haircut and it could be a could end up good or bad. Well, this Indiana principal had the perfect solution for a child skipping class because of a bad haircut. So this kid got sent to the principal and when he asked, uh, why are you not taking off your hat because you're not allowed wearing a hat? He goes, well, I don't like my haircut. So instead of the principal disciplining him, he said, well, let me help you. And this is what Smith did, uh, the principal Um, I've been cutting hair most of my life. I played college basketball. I cut my teammates hair. So if I go home and get my clippers and you line up, will you go back to class? So basically there's a picture of this principal cutting this student's hair. It got posted to Facebook and it's been seen over uh, 21,000 times. And he said, you know, that age is a time for peer acceptance. It's huge. And so a young man, especially an African-American young man, the barbershop is a big deal in the community. Looking good and representing and presenting yourself is huge for kids. Uh, so he said, who knew a skill that helped me survive in college would be useful 20 years later, which I just thought was uh, beautiful stepping up as a principal like that uh, for a student in that moment. Yeah, I love this story as well. It's so it's so good. And finally, uh, Potato Head Company, <laughs> the iconic Potato Head toy, officially went gender neutral with this new reintroduction. And everyone has been talking about this on social media. Hasbro announced that the company is officially dropping the Mr. for Mr. Potato Head brand so that it's going to be the Potato Head world. I don't know, Ryan, if you played with these when you were younger, but I've always been creeped out by them. No, I mean, I only saw them in Toy Stories. I never actually owned them. Oh, really? It was my it was my generation well, that had them. Toy Story. Yeah, the the, the movie. Yeah, but like my, I, I think my generation actually had it before the Toy Story, meaning oh. that, yeah, it was like a, a kind of an iconic toy. Yeah. Uh, so while the company's overall branding is going to change to Potato Head, they're still going to have, though, the Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head toys. And they also are celebrating the many faces of families, allowing kids to reimagine and create their own Potato Head family, they said. 
uh, which will include uh, two large potato bodies, one small potato body, and 42 accessories. The potato family can have up to two parents and a baby. I mean, all right, I guess even potatoes need to be inclusive. Exactly. So that was our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. We are done for this week, but guess what? We start new hours, new time next week on Monday, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. Mm -hmm. That is uh, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern (laughs) right here on Channel Q. That's the new uh, ongoing joke. Shira learning um, other standard times. Or math, like using my fingers. (laughs) Who still uses their fingers to count? Oh, I do. Who doesn't? No. They're there. That's what they're there for. No, I think they're not there for that. Um, So listen, you can listen to us right here on Channel Q Live again weekdays, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. That is 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. And we have a podcast, radio.com app. Just search Let's Go There. And have a great weekend. We're sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you Monday. Bye, y'all.